You're listening to the Dangerous Prayer Sermon Series at Sojourn Church J-Town. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christ-likeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray. Search us, break us, unite us, and send us. Psalm 133, a song of sense of David. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard onto his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. All righty, maybe seated. I think uh, college days have a way of um, uniting you with other people. Um, there's there's always events that have a way of uniting you with a group of men or women, whatever. Some events are okay to talk about in public. Some events maybe uh, you keep in private, amen. Um, but there is one event that, that had a way of uniting uh, us probably more so than any kind of sports. I, I went to Camelsville. It was Camelsville College then. Now it's Camelsville University, so it sounds a little more legit. Uh, I don't know why the change in name, but I mean, it was a legit degree. I don't have a fake degree, (laughs) but for some reason, like saying Camelsville University sounds kind of, you know, cooler, I guess. But but I... um, I remember specific events because our, our, our teams, our sports teams weren't that great. We just started football when I was a freshman, so they were pretty horrible. Basketball was okay. Uh, the girls were really good, um, and so yeah, we would unite around that, but it was just, you know, you cheered for Kentucky or U of L if you lived in Kentucky. It's not like Camelsville, Rock. You know what I'm saying? No one's sporting maroon quite often around here. Uh, but there's one event that used to unite our friend group, and that is an event that we would do uh, periodically throughout the year, and that is our Krispy Kreme run. Amen. So, um, so Camelsville is about two hours away from Louisville. And back in this day, the only Krispy Kreme in existence in the Louisville area was the one off Bardstown Road. And so periodically throughout a semester, around 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, a whole group of us would say, hey, let's go make a Krispy Kreme run. And sure enough, about eight of us would pack in a Datsun, right? You remember a Datsun? Right now it's called Nissan. Uh, in a little hatchback usually, pretty unsafe. Uh, Seatbelt laws weren't really enforced in that day. And so, uh, but we would all pack in a small car. We would sing songs to the top of our lungs to go to Krispy Kreme and have a little taste of heaven. Amen. Those wonderful hot donuts when there's nothing like it in the world. And then we'd all cram back in the car and fight to stay awake because the sugar crash, right? To get, get us back uh, uh, to Campbellsville uh, in some kind of one piece. But that event, like, I don't know, like none other is an event that would have a way of unifying us. And we would talk about it all throughout uh, the year. Hey, remember that time we went to, you know, Krispy Kremes in the middle of the night? Um, now I say that because I think, As weird as this may sound as far as a jump, I think this is part of what we see within this psalm. Because this psalm, Psalm 133, is is kind of the the latter part of a group of psalms 
There are 15 of them total called Psalms of Ascent. And what that is, that there's 15 psalms that the Jewish people would sing together as they are going toward uh, Jerusalem for their festivals that they would celebrate three times a year. And it was psalms of ascent because they're, they're going up a hill. Jerusalem was up on a top of a hill there. And so millions of people three times a year would, would travel, you know, together, do a road trip, quote unquote, this would be kind of their playlist on that road trip, these 15 psalms they would sing together. And so I know I'm, I'm, I'm using my imagination a little bit here, but um, we know that David most likely is the one that wrote Psalm 133, and possibly uh, this psalm could have been inspired by him kind of being on his rooftop or his palace or whatever, and looking out at the millions of people that were traveling together, singing, so to speak, in unison, these psalms as they're coming to celebrate uh, these festivals that they would do three times a year. And looking at these millions of people kind of unified as one, by the Holy Spirit inspired him to write a psalm that affirms and celebrates this kind of unity. I mean, look what he says here. I mean, it's just three verses. I want to hit these really quickly um, and then bring some application about the area of praying unite us. But look what he says here starting off in verse 1. How good and pleasant or how good and pleasing it is when brothers live together in harmony or some translations say when brothers live together in unity. Well, look, I, I don't think there's any of us in this room, no matter where your spiritual interest is, you can be someone who isn't a Christian here, you can be someone that's a diehard follower of Jesus Christ. I think all of us would agree with verse 1, like we would affirm that, we would celebrate that, we would agree that it's beautiful and pleasant and pleasing when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. So I'm always trying to... Um, be aware of where our inner lawyers kind of come into play. I, and I talk about this often uh, periodically when I'm working through a text and just want to kind of find out where are objections, right? Where are people going, ah, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I don't think there's any objections here. All of us would agree that, it, that it's pleasing and good to dwell in harmony and peace and in unity with one another. Now, why is that? This is where the disagreement may lie. Why, why is that? Why is this an instinctive element, and it, something innate in all of us that we say yes to verse 1? Well, it's not because of evolution. It's because every single one of us in this room is made in the image of a triune God. Every single one of us in this room are image bearers, and our God exists and three distinct persons, yet one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one God. They're not three separate gods. They are, they're one in essence, but three distinct persons. And it's in this image of harmony, oneness, unity, that we are made in his image. That's why instinctively in us, when we read verse 1, most of us in this room are going, yes, yes. There's something beautiful and pleasing 
when I dwell in unity and harmony with my brothers and sisters. That's why whenever we, um, um, we hear music, like even what we celebrated this morning, I mean, God's gifted us with some phenomenal musicians and some beautiful soloists. I mean, it, it, they are. I mean, there's, there's something precious about hearing you know, Kristen Riggs sing by herself and Jenna McCann sing by herself and, and Elliot also sing by, him, by himself. I mean, even in that uh, ver- uh, song we just got to sing and there's a fountain filled with blood, each, each of them had their own part. And, and I don't know about you guys, but man, I can just close my eyes and say, okay, I'm good. I can listen to you sing all day. Like just put that on repeat, amen? But there's something even um, more beautiful when all three of those voices come together. There's something that, that even awakes in us that wants to shout out even more so and say, wow, the harmony there brings about a beauty and a song. And the reason why that's the case is because all of us in this room are made in the image of a triune God who exists in three persons, yet one. There's a harmony. There's a oneness there. And so then we instinctively celebrate when we see that put on display. I like what um, Michael Reeves says in Delighting in the Trinity. And I realize the title of that book probably sounds really boring, right? It's like, oh my. But I I cannot commend this book to you enough. It's a a smaller book, uh, very, um, very approachable, very readable, and I think it would help open your eyes to um, the beauty of the Trinity and how important it is to us to believe in this Trinity, three persons, yet one. And if you're wanting to, which I'm sure it's not high on your reading list to kind of unpack that whole idea, this book would be a great, great starting point. But I love what he says there. He says, reflecting on this idea of harmony, it is from the heavenly harmony of the Father, Son, and the Spirit that this universal frame of cosmos and all created harmony comes. To hear a tuneful harmony can be one of the most intoxicating, beautiful experiences, which we just got done experiencing a few minutes ago. And no wonder, as in heaven, so on earth. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have always been in delicious harmony Thus they create a world where harmonies, distinct beings, persons, or notes working in unity are good, mirroring the very being of the triune God. So yes, we would all affirm verse 1 here. It's, it's beautiful, it's good, it's pleasant when brothers dwell in harmony and oneness and unity. And then to kind of elaborate on that, he doesn't just leave us with verse 1 Uh, David wants to capture kind of our imagination so we can almost experience what is that like? And he uses these two metaphors that most of us in this room are going, what? What's he talking about here? But in this time, in antiquity, when they're reading this as original readers, they understand what he's talking about. So you saw two of them, if you notice. Look at uh, verse 2, you got fine oil, and then verse 3, you have this dew of Hermon. So look at verse 2 real quick. It's like fine oil on the, on the head and running down on the beard and running down on Aaron's beard onto his robe. So what in the world is David talking about? He's talking about an event that took place in Leviticus chapter 8 where Aaron, which was the first high priest of Israel, was anointed with this special oil that was um, specifically, you know, 
you know, God gave specific instructions on how to create this, you know, it's based out of olive oil, but there's certain perfumes and spices and, and other things that went, fragrances that went with this oil and, and to kind of consecrate him or set him apart or to anoint him for his service as a high priest. This oil was not just dropped on him, it was poured on him. So what we see there, it goes through his head and his beard and, and onto his robe. So that's kind of this first meta- metaphor, like what, what, what's David talking about here? And then he goes on in, in verse 3 and brings in another metaphor. And he says, like the dew of Hermon. Well, what the heck is Hermon, right? Is it Hermon the monster, right? You know, for those of you who remember those days. Uh, no, it's, it's talking about a mountain falling on the mountains of Zion. So I I got a a little picture here of of what this mountain looks like. It's beautiful. I've never been there, obviously, in person. But it's the highest mountain in elevation in Israel. It's 9,000 feet, and you can see this mountain 120 miles away. It is known for its heavy dew because of its high altitude. And two-thirds of the year, it is covered in snow, and it receives 60 inches of rain annually. And so... This would be kind of a main source of water for the Jordan River in this time, and even, even to this day. And so when you, when you think about that, I mean, obviously the dew of Hermon is something that's refreshing and life-giving, and then you, you bring in the oil of Aaron, this fine oil. What, what do these two metaphors say? I mean, yeah, we can, we can separate them and kind of draw out some implications out of both of them, but I think David is trying to give us uh, communicate something to us by these two metaphors coming together? What is he trying to help us see about what it's like when the people of God dwell in unity and oneness? Well, here's one. I think when the people of God dwell in unity, it, it's a blessing and a gift for others that are not a part of the community of God. Meaning, yes, the oil of Aaron being poured on his head and dripping all the way down is a blessing that Aaron receives. The fragrance, I mean, the, that moment is really significant. But because it's poured in such abundance that whoever is witnessing in this event are, are benefiting from that. So it's not just Aaron benefiting from being, having oil poured on him. Anyone witnessing this event is going to benefit from the smell of that oil. Are you, are you following me? We, like, in, in some ways you get this with essential oils a little bit. I know most of us in this room are all into essential oils, but we get that a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you put this on or it's in your house and you, it's, it's, it brings a, usually a pleasing aroma, right? You get this a little bit with cologne, which that's not, I don't know if people use cologne anymore. Some people do, and it's like, ah. but some people use cologne in a way that's very life-giving, right? So, so just follow me here. So uh, the oil here, because of its fragrance, it's just not a blessing for Aaron. Those that are witnessing this event are blessed by it. So it is with the dew of Hermon. Yes, the dew of Hermon blesses the mountain of Hermon and its vegetation, but the whole valley is blessed by the dew. And so think about this, guys. Whenever God's people dwell in unity and oneness, not only is it a blessing for you, but it's also a gift and a blessing for those that are not followers of Jesus Christ yet. I think that's why Jesus prays this in John 17. I mean, what does he pray for us? Look what he says here in verse 20. 
I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Well, who's that? That's not a trick question. That's you. He's praying for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have believed in Jesus through the witness of someone sharing the word, the gospel to you. So he's praying for you. So what is he praying for? May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be what? One, as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely what? One. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So I don't know. You don't have to be a massive Bible scholar to understand what it is that Jesus is after in this prayer and what he's praying for us. I mean, this is... This has got to be a big deal, right? One, 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 one. Four times in, in three verses there. So unity amongst the people of God, the family of God, always smells good and is refreshing, makes us appealing to those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. So our oneness and unity is not just a blessing for you, it's a blessing for others so is the opposite so if our oneness is a pleasing aroma to our community if there's disunity here it's bo to the community amen and last time i checked i don't love the smell of bo my kids hit reach puberty oh my gosh it's like let's just go buy a big box of old spice amen it's like pass it out i know school teachers feel like that sometimes in middle school like i'm just gonna have deodorant at my desk you know like you boys stink man but whenever the church is fighting bickering arguing arguing lack of harmony it's not only destructive here but it smells like B.O. in the community. I mean, think about this. Sometimes I think we downplay this reality. Based on what we see here, based on what we see with John 17, as well as from Psalm 133, that the greatest gift, I'm not even going to say one of the greatest, maybe the greatest gift that we can give the community that god has placed us in jaytown fern creek middletown douglas hill all these surrounding communities here right the greatest gift that we can give them is our unity our oneness how we in this room love one another care for one another Unite together. Harmony. So when you put these, these metaphors together, that's one, right? That's one kind of blessing. It's a, it's a blessing to others, not just you. But another thing I think David's trying to get across here with these two metaphors is that this kind of unity and oneness that we celebrate in verse 1 can only come by God giving it to us. It's a gift from him. 
And you see this explicitly stated in the last part of verse 3 where it says this, for, the Lord, for there the Lord appointed the blessing. It is him that's giving this blessing. But it's also implied in two other ways. There's an emphasis placed on this threefold repetition. So look at this. Look real quick. Look in your bulletin. Or if you've got your own Bibles, you can look at that. But notice that literally this is descending, running down, falling down. You see this repeated in verse 2, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. And then again in verse 3, falling on the mountains of Zion. It's the same word, descending, descending, descending. And what the psalmist is doing here, or what Davis is doing here, David is doing here, is he is acknowledging that the hidden source of this blessing of verse 1, how good and pleasing it is for brothers to live together in harmony, is from God himself. It comes from above. It's also implied when you think about the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. It's geographically impossible. Mount Hermon's in the north. The hills of Zion is in the south. Yes, yes. Okay, I get it. The dew, the water flows. It gets there. But I think the writer here, David, is trying to poetically express the miraculous here that if if we are going to dwell in this kind of unity and oneness, that God is the only one that can do it. Just like it's impossible geographically for the dew of Hermon to actually fall on the mountains of Zion. So it is for a people from all different races, from all different backgrounds, from different socioeconomic pieces, whatever, whatever. For us all to gather, to gather together and be one body, one new humanity where we love one another and care for one another, like it's a miracle of God for that to happen. Yes, I mean, some of us may like look at sports analogies and go, well, you know, there's ways that even UK fans and UofL fans unite as one. And when is that? It's when Duke gets beat. Amen? Right? And the reason why that is because we all have a common enemy. Well, that's not community. That's tribalism. And my concern is that the body of Christ is, is, is living out that kind of unity that's not real unity. We define our common enemy, and a common enemy is some person, some ideology, some kind of little bent here, or even individuals within this community right here. And we kind of stake our claims, and we divide ourselves, and we think, I'm unified here with this group of people, but uh, that's not what David's celebrating here in verse 1. And the reason why it's a God-given gift is because God is after this supernatural bond that brings different cultures, races, and classes together as one in the Lord. And the reason why God has to be the one that gives us that is because it's really hard. I mean, what did Rodney King, the late Rodney King, say? What is one of his famous quotes? Yeah, can't we all just get along? And the answer to that famous quote is what? Say it out loud. No. 
Ever since the Tower of Babel, differences do not unite. They divide. I mean, I'm not trying to overly simplify this, but we are, we are by and large a very insecure group of people. We all are. All of us. And differences have a way of accentuating that insecurity. And the only hope we have, and and I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but just follow me. The only hope that we have is when we, you as an individual, submit your life to Jesus, you put your trust in him, find your security, worth, and value, and your identity in him, and you live out of a posture of peace so that you can go and find people that are different than you and celebrate their differences, not envy them. Not make them make you feel shameful because you lack something. Derek Kigner in his book on Psalm uh, says this about Psalm 133. Just a short little sentence here. Look what he says. In short, true unity, like all of God's good gifts, is from above, bestowed rather than contrived. A blessing far more than achievement. It is good and pleasing for brothers to dwell in unity and harmony. It's not only a blessing for you, man, it's a blessing for others. It's like the oil going down Aaron's head and beard and his clothes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion's. It's a blessing to other people, not just to you. And the only way this becomes a reality, a taste of it, right, is if it's a given gift from God above. We can't make this happen. So in light of this psalm, what are we to do? How do we move forward? How do we take a step forward in this area? Well, I want to give us real quick, and I won't take long doing this, I promise, kind of three Ps, all right? So I'm not a big alliterated guy, but here in the last couple of weeks, I guess I've done this more often than what I'd like to uh, own. So um, the first one is this, and maybe this feels like, um, not feels like, just, yeah, sometimes you can feel like, oh, well, that's, that's not really amazing, but the first one is the most important thing that we can do, and that is to pray. Hey, we Like, we as a body, close to 500 people between two services, commit to over the next 11 months, picking one day a week, and we pray that God would unite us, this body together, that we would be one, and then extend it beyond that to this community, this city, to the government officials, to our nation, on it goes, but start here. Here, let's pray. You know, when I first looked at this section or this, this, this dangerous prayer, then one of the first things that I said is like, what's dangerous about unite us, right? Ooh. <laughs> like I can kind of, hopefully made a good, decent argument where you can see search me and break me and send me can be somewhat disruptive prayers and dangerous prayers. It just doesn't feel very dangerous to pray unite us. 
Well, if you step back and think about it, it is kind of dangerous because number one, it's going to require you to change. The problem with disunity isn't always, right? It's not always them. It starts with you. It starts with me. And if God's going to do a work where there's a, a oneness, a unitedness here that is only attributed to what God can do, then, then you've got to recognize the you're going to have to change and the Holy Spirit will bring things to your mind that you need to change. That's why this prayer can be really dangerous. And the last time I checked, we love it when someone else changes, but we don't love to change ourselves because change can be really hard and difficult. But not only will it require us to change, but it will also require um, others Unity requires others. I could be knocked out of the ballpark, living harmonious and living in harmony in isolation, (laughs) right? You can deal with conflict in isolation. But that's not what we're after. We're after unity here. We're after God uniting us, and it's going to require you to be with other people. It's going to require you to get to know other people that are different than you. It's going to require you to, to maybe, you know, look at your friend group and say, wow, every one of my friends look like me. <laughs> maybe I need to pursue something that's out of my normal, right? I mean, you can look at the three previous prayers and you can keep them singular and still pray it. Search me. Break me, send me, you can't pray, unite me. <laughs> well, maybe that isn't funny, but it is a little, right? You got, like, that's, just, that's crazy. You can't do that. stupid. I mean, there's other ways. I mean, I'm, if you've got a divided heart, I get that. I'm just talking about the context here. If we really want to have unity, you, you, it requires others. Another way it's dangerous is that Unity will disrupt your comfort. Anytime you get involved in lives of others, it will disrupt you, especially someone that is different from you. And that's really, really hard for us because all of us in this room, and I'm not saying this to your shame. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad about it. I'm just trying to state a reality. We are all really, 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 really comfortable. All of us are. It's always at play. A lot of our own innovation and invention, so to speak, is driven by convenience and comfort. You know, i.e., pre-lathered soap, right? I mean, it's a gift for parents, for kids, right? They just didn't get, you got to rub them hands together to get some lather. <laughs> so thank God when whoever Bath and Body Works, whoever it was, you just squirt and there it is. It's all lathered up for you. <laughs> it's like rub twice and rinse and you're in good shape. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe that's too silly. But, but look, it, then it shouldn't be a surprise in our culture, in our society, then that both comfort and disunity are on the rise. So if I'm going to pray, unite us, because it will disrupt me. It'll make me uncomfortable.
uncomfortable because it will require change and it will require others. But I'm really encouraging us to do this, that we would pray, ask God, how, how are my words bringing unity or disunity? How is my presence bringing unity or disunity? What do I need to change about myself, God? What can I do that helps promote the unity of this body? What am I not doing that's not promoting, whether it's intentional or not intentional? Pray that God you would unite us. The second P real quickly here is um, not only do we pray, then I'm just going to encourage us to practice unity, <laughs> which I know it sounds kind of weird, um, but Paul specifically says over and over, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And so that tells me that this takes work. Like we don't default into being one. We work by the Spirit's power to be in one. So my default is disunity. So I've got to work toward unity. He says it again in Romans where he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, which tells me a handful of things. One is this, is that in this life, you may not be fully at peace with every person that you have a relationship with, including those that are followers of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation may not fully, completely happen in this earth, but as far as it depends on you, not on them. You live at peace. And so that means there's a way in which we've got to practice unity, meaning this is my list. I don't know if it needs to be your list, but my list says, all right, I'm going to practice this unity that I long for and I celebrate and say yes to by being quick to forgive when I'm wronged. That love does cover a multitude of sins. Then I'm not going to always apply suspicion to things. I'm going to try to give people the benefit of the doubt that I'm going to be one that extends grace. And when someone says, man, I'm sorry for that, please forgive me, then I'm going to extend forgiveness. And I'm going to, by the power of God, by the Spirit of God that dwells in me, to really let that go and release it. And not say you're forgiven and then actually tuck it away. And then bring it back at an appropriate time when you're really hurt. You want to show them how bad they really did hurt you. Not only quick to forgive, but quick to seek forgiveness when I've wronged someone. Instead of justifying, dismissing, or downplaying. Oh, they're just too sensitive. No, I, I want unity. I want oneness. And so when I've wronged someone, I'm going to be one who's quick to forgive. Another one is that, um, and I think this is, sometimes I'm going to, am I saying this right? Here's, here's what I'm after here, guys. Like we are, we are a church that values genuine and honesty, but I never want, um, genuine and honesty to, um, how do I say this, uh, to dismiss or downplay the priority of unity. And what I mean by that, we w I want unity to have a way of serving honesty 
and genuineness. The end goal is to see to it that we stay unified, and I want that desire for unity to have a way of uh, influencing and shaping when I'm honest and genuine. Does that make sense to you? So my goal isn't just to be honest and genuine. My goal is, is greater than that. I want to preserve the unity of this church in how I speak truth. So it's going to inform how I speak it, when I speak it, and what manner that I speak it. So guys, look, f follow me here. Please hear me, all right? Yes, truth divides. And we'll see that when we jump back into Matthew. I mean, this division between the disciples and those that are followers of Jesus and those that are the religious leaders, that division keeps getting bigger. So you better believe it. Truth does divide. Honesty has a way of disrupting you. And I'm not saying we don't do that. I'm just saying sometimes we have a tendency to have the goal of truth and that's it. Well, I'm just being truthful. I'm just being honest. Okay, thank you for being honest, but you just create a lot of division and factions here through your honesty. And all you had to do was spend a few minutes thinking through how to say something. Before you push send or type your deal or text your thing on social media, you put it through a different lens where there's a, a desire for the body to be unified. And I want my tone and the way I say things of this truth that needs to be said that has at that aim. That's what I'm after. That's what I mean by practicing unity and not just be satisfied. Hey, I told you the truth. So prayer, practice, and then I just close with this. And that is power. Like we can't do this on our own. As much as we might think we can do this by our own willpower, we cannot. The only means by which this can happen is through the gospel of Jesus Christ and our submission and living out of that posture of peace. I've got peace with God and I live out of that posture of peace with God in order to seek peace with one another. That's the only power that can help us be this kind of people. Christ's body was divided and broken so that our body can be one. And so may God, by his grace, unite us so that we can be a blessing to the community at large. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.